Welcome everyone to the Enterprise Design Podcast brought to you by VMware Design. I'm Laurel Byers here with my co-host as always, Tushar Roy. And today we have an awesome episode all about accessibility with Santina Kronizer, our accessibility manager here at VMware. Welcome, Santina. Well, thank you. I'm happy to be here. And this is our first episode on accessibility. So anybody who has no clue about accessibility should start with probably this episode, right? And then we can deep dive into so many different facets and pillars of accessibility. With that, Santina, um, welcome again. And please introduce yourself to our audience, please. Yeah, thank you. Um, my name, again, Santina. Uh, I've been with VMware for about three years now, but not new to accessibility. I've been working in the accessibility field for uh, gosh, it's been well over 10, maybe even 15 years at this point. So um, yeah, I've, uh, it's been interesting to watch it evolve. Did you start, um, like, it, like, did you learn about it in college or did you start in a different career and then shift over? How's that work? So yeah, uh, when I first started my career, I was a web developer at a university and um, I was trying to figure out, you know, uh, do I learn different languages? How can I really set myself apart? Um, as a web developer in the field. And we had an incoming freshman that had the opportunity who could either sue the university or, um, you know, they could take a different path. And so that individual uh, was really awesome and decided, I'm going to actually just show these people what it's like for me, what my experience is. Um, and so this is the first time that I'd ever seen somebody use a screen reader. This is the first time that I'd ever had the opportunity to work with somebody who was blind. And he was he was amazing. You know, he really kind of showed all of us um, a different way that somebody might interact with you know, at that time it was email, but there was also a lot of things that we did um, at the university, websites, calendars, kind of different things like that. Um, and so that just became something different to think about. I learned how to use a screen reader at that point in my career. I still wasn't 100% sold that accessibility was going to be my thing. And so I just kept learning more and more and more and more until it just kind of became a tipping point of um, somebody was hiring a role for half web developer, half accessibility. And when I went through that process, they were like, wow, you really know a lot about accessibility. Have you ever considered doing this uh, on a more regular basis? And so the job that was supposed to be 50-50 ended up 99% accessibility and 1% development. And so it's really progressed since there. Um, but I am grateful that, you know, that person took the time to say, hey, this isn't right. This is my experience as opposed to going the litigation route. Yeah, it's really interesting to hear about about having like literally having like a, a direct, uh, I guess, experience with someone going through that versus a lot of times people kind of learn about it nowadays, at least in maybe a detached context. They know it's important because maybe they write an article about it or something, but they don't necessarily know that they know someone. I say that because maybe they do know someone. They just didn't know that that person utilizes um different, um, you know, accessibility um, features on a computer or something temporarily or long-term, I suppose. So I wanted to start with this first question for our audience as to what is accessibility. But then I, do, I don't want to forget my second question, which is, you know, I really find how you came to accessibility so interesting. I mean, this should have been, you know, my career graph. I, I've been a developer first 15 years of my career, and I wanted to move to accessibility, especially um, because I believed in it so much as a as a colorblind person myself, but I thought I never got a chance 
where somebody would say, hey, take your time or do 50-50 and then move to this. So then my second question would be, how can somebody get into accessibility if they don't get a chance like like you got? Yeah, yeah. So let's get into the first one of what accessibility is, right? Of, um, you know, we're, we work in the digital space, but really accessibility is large. It's massive. Um, you know, my specialty specifically is with digital accessibility. Um, but we can't forget, you know, the obvious things that we can encounter day to day of the physical space. We think of ramps, but it's, you know, things you might not think of of the space in between of being able to move within a physical environment. But then, you know, that what all of these things don't really describe what accessibility is. And truly, regardless of somebody's ability or disability, making sure that somebody can use the space or can use a digital product. And really, it's that simple. And trying to figure out, of okay, which disability or what assistive technology or now what do I think about, that honestly complicates it. Bottom line is you want everybody to be able to use it. You don't want to present barriers, you know. And also, you want people to be able to use it independently. I mean, how many people want to call customer service? <laughs> you know, we would actively avoid that as much as we possibly can. And so why wouldn't we offer that same ability to anybody, especially people who have disabilities? They want to be just as independent as anybody else. And so allowing that individual to use whatever it might be, digital products, you know, that's what we specialize in. Um, you want to allow them to be able to use those free of any kinds of barriers and also free of any kind of assistance whatsoever. And so at its heart, really, that is what accessibility is. There's also some terms that maybe we can just like quickly like describe what they mean. There's VPAT, there's AY11, there's AAA, AA uh, standards, <laughs> I guess. Uh, can you maybe just like quickly tell the listeners what those mean? Sure. So VPAT is uh, a little bit of an outdated acronym, but it is what we think of when somebody is looking to buy something that uh, they want to determine how accessible it is. So VPAT, the old acronym is Voluntary Product Accessibility Template, which that last T really indicates what it is. It's a document that accessibility auditors use to then say how accessible something is. And so the preferred term now is ACRs, so that's the Accessibility Compliance Report. So you hear those used interchangeably just because VPAT was out there for so long, there was no other term, people just became used to VPAT. And so now it's VPAT slash ACR or only ACR. But really, again, that is the formal document that says how accessible any given product is. And that's really important for individuals um, who want to make sure that it is accessible, that they have maybe a legal requirement to make sure that what they're procuring is accessible. Um, but that's really the outcome. And so kind of getting back to the other terms that you're saying, um, uh, level A, level double A, that goes back to a CAG, which is web. Um, <laughs> I, always, I always need to think about it myself because I use the acronym so often that I, I actually forget what the meaning is. That's a, that's a great point uh, that way, Santina, because I have always been very uh, vocal about accessibility myself. But honestly, I always had that, I don't know, imposter syndrome or actually that's a reality that I know barely anything about accessibility. So um, I couldn't spell accessibility, which is, so Laurel, to answer your question, A11Y is the short form of the word accessibility itself. Yeah. Right? yeah. And then what does it contain? There's so much to your point, Cynthia. There's so much to it. It's almost so dreadful to say, okay, I want to step into accessibility because I have no clue how big that um, ocean is, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Um, it can be overwhelming. I feel like perhaps you're both now at the point that you know a little bit about accessibility. And once you start to learn a little bit, you then know that there's more to learn and more to learn and more to learn and more to learn. And that's how it mm -hmm. starts to become really intimidating and really overwhelming. And so, you know, how do you get into it? And, you know, how, how do you start to learn about it? Starting anywhere really is a good point, <laughs> right? Um, I think the accessibility community is very open in that way. You have a lot of individuals who are willing to talk about it. You just go up to somebody who says that they know anything about accessibility. They're probably willing to say what they know, regardless if they've been working in accessibility for a year or, you know, longer than I have. You know, there's folks that have been working in accessibility for 40 years. Um, there are folks that this literally is their entire life of, you know, they live with a disability and they also work as somebody who works in accessibility. Um, but, you know, you, everybody needs to start somewhere. And so learning what the fundamentals are, going back to WCAG, which is Web Content Accessibility Guidelines, you know, it can be broken down into a larger principle, poor, which is perceivable, operable, understandable, and robust. And so just starting there of familiarizing yourself with these terms, you know, those four different principles of WCAG and kind of really digging into what that means. And then it becomes nuance of, you know, what can you learn more of? How can you go deep? Color contrast, you know, I could talk for hours. It could be a really simple thing or alt text. There's entire dissertations of what alt text means. And also it's very individual. Sure. So, um, so for somebody who's new in the industry or maybe fresh out of college and is interested in accessibility, I'm thinking there would be two types. One would be, hey, I am interested. I want to be an ally. And so I want to continuously learn about it, which is probably I and Laurel at this point. But then what about people? And that was my question. I think we just touched upon it. WCAG. Do you think that is the best way for anybody who wants accessibility to be as their career? A good starting point. Um, yeah, so there's there's a lot of things that kind of are coming up for me as you're as you're kind of talking about it of, you know, how do you how do you learn about it? How do you embrace it? Um, you know, I was fortunate that my first point of contact or the first way that I came to accessibility was learning from somebody who was disabled and who had a need um, to navigate technology in a different way. And wouldn't it be amazing if we could all have that starting point, right? Um, and we at VMware, we do have that opportunity. We have um, our disability pod, and so we can learn in that way. And I know that there's regular events where you can learn from people's stories. But there's there's some point that we do need to understand somebody's experience, and then we need to understand what can we do about it. And so WCAG is fine. <laughs> I don't mean to dismiss it. And yes, this is what I live and breathe as somebody who does this on a regular basis. But as somebody who's just starting out, maybe from grad school, or maybe, you know, this wasn't a focus in, in somebody else's career, and now they want to start learning about accessibility, that's all well and great. But it's also extraordinarily theoretical, <laughs> you know, getting the practical of how do I do this day to day? Or what do I need to do? What are some tools that I can do? What, what, what are the things that I need to know, regardless if it's design, regardless if it's engineering, regardless if it's even content writing, you know, there's lots of things that you can do specifically for accessibility. And so 
might be controversial of other people who are accessibility experts, and I'd say don't learn WCAG. It's good to know the principles that I've mentioned because it helps to, you know, point you in the right direction of what you need to know, but start looking at the, the technical things that you can do or the specific things that you can do. There's lots of different um, how-to articles out there of how do I do blank? Um, you know, I named color contrast and alt text just because those are really hot topics and they're easier ones to get into. Um, but, you know, there's other things too of um, really, uh, it could seem really banal of the interactions that somebody might do of, uh, you know, buttons versus links we just had that debate and why it's important uh, to name things what they are of you know getting into the really minute details of why is something a link and why is something a button and so you know just kind of asking questions is really the important place to start and then you know whatever questions you might have and whatever you're searching or whatever you're going in chat gpt of you know instead of just saying how do i do blank saying how do i do blank accessibly, you know, and maybe comparing those two answers and seeing where you land. Yeah, I think that's great. I, I was just thinking, I was trying to think of like different things online. Obviously, me, you can go to Medium and read a bunch of articles that people have personally written, though be considerate that anyone can publish there. Um, <laughs> and then also like something like LinkedIn learning, you know, I'm sure if you even YouTube it, there are plenty of people talking about at least the basics to get started um, and, and how to consider it. And I know like there's even Figma plugins, right. That can help guide you a bit to your point of like contrast and uh, typography sizing. Right. Um, something that I found interesting when I started here is that, and this is where I was a little like, oh, I didn't realize. Um, there was a template for the, I guess, click order. Um, mm -hmm. So you would kind of outline that in Figma. Um, and it, that just was like a little learning moment for me that there was a way to show that as a designer to um, you know, the developers we're going to work with um, and to consider that and not just rely on them to figure that out which I blindly was doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think that speaks to, you know, why it's important to have the conversations with the developers and our engineers of, you know, you have a perfect design or you think that it's perfect. And yet how somebody else would interpret that, regardless if it's, if it's just a brief conversation or annotations of the clicking through and having the correct order, um, that handoff is really important um, not just for accessibility, but for other things as well. You know, I said links versus buttons. Engineers can code things in a way that you might not expect. And it's really important, especially with accessibility, that things things are called things for a reason, right? A button is a button. A button means something to somebody who's going to use, um, to use a computer just blank without any assistive technology, but then with assistive technology, especially if somebody has something that's reading something off to them, a screen reader, then it means something different than say another kind of interactive item. Maybe we yeah. can we can touch a little bit on um, accessibility when it comes to like enterprise products versus consumer products. I mean, it's important in both, obviously, but are there different challenges that one might face in enterprise and why is it so important to still do for enterprise in the first place? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the biggest obvious difference is that you're a lot more disconnected from the from the customer, <laughs> you know. Um, it's a lot easier to say, um, you know, uh, 
we have a specific user type and they're barred from being able to put something in their shopping cart and complete this transaction. Um, it, there's some assumptions, I think, of who our users are when we're coming to enterprise software. And, um, you know, that humanitarian of why we should do this uh, uh, argument, it kind of gets a little bit more muddied of, well, you know, those aren't the people, those people aren't coming to us, those people, you know, there's there's some assumptions. And number one, those assumptions just aren't true, <laughs> right? Of There are people who are in enterprise uh, situations who are, um, who have disabilities, who do need those affordances as well and be able to navigate the software. Um, so, I mean, I guess that's point one of it's, it's just um, a lot more disconnected from who actually uses it or who we think actually uses it. Um, but number two, I mean, it's it's very complex. We're coming up with a lot more, uh, a lot of different workflows. You know, we deal with a lot of data. You know, there's just what we produce, uh, I would say, is just um, just on a different level uh, that, than the consumer products. And so by nature, what we're, what we're producing and what somebody's interacting with, it is complex. And so how to make sure that it is also accessible at the same time poses some unique challenges that we wouldn't experience in the consumer, consumer fields. Um, you know, just the sheer number of visualizations on a screen it can be overwhelming, regardless if it's visually overwhelming or if you are using assistive technology, um, how that interacts. So then what's what's your team's strategy? Do you say we want to go with the basics and make sure that um, the basic accessibility is taken care of and then we slowly move up to mature the product? Or do you start top down by saying, let's find out who our um, customers are what kind of challenges they have and then based on that these are the things that we need to work on sure um it's more the former rather than the latter um honestly we, we know we know who our customers are i don't need to know that there is specifically somebody who uses a screen reader to know that there is somebody who uses our software who uses a screen reader uh, likewise i don't need to know that there's somebody who has problems using their hands and so therefore they're navigating perhaps with visual tracking or with voice dictation software. I don't need to personally know that. I don't need to point to a customer and know that that's happening to know that it is happening. And kind of how I set it up at the beginning, you know, people don't want to reach out to customer service. And so wouldn't it be a beautiful thing that our products pose, well, they are so accessible that we will never know about those instances. Uh, you know, on the contrary, I do know, <laughs> I do actually know, and I can point to those, but wouldn't it be better if we can just say um, we don't have those barriers? And so, um, you know, we as accessibility specialists, we do know the different kind of user types and the various different things to think about. The challenges then of how do we make that accessible? And I think it's not necessarily a question of does it come top down or does it come bottom up? We are on a journey at, uh, at VMware. Everybody Honestly, regardless if it's a small company or a massive company, it accessibility is always going to be a journey. There's always going to be things to improve upon. There's always going to be things to learn. Um, and, you know, we're we at VMware. You know, the accessibility team isn't that old. We're beginning our journey. We're starting to figure that out. And so we're focusing on all of these little things and how to make it better and keep moving that needle forward. Of you know, how can we become better? Um, and what I hope is that it becomes to 
to a point that we can really dig in with those complex interactions as opposed to, okay, this thing needs to be accessible, that thing needs to be accessible. And I think that's the next goalpost is really to think about the interactions rather than one individual component, especially as I said, you know, somebody looking at a dashboard and all of these different complex things, they're not thinking, oh, this one little tiny part of this dashboard, you know, that's all, that's all I need and that's fine. No, they're thinking of how does this interact with this and what happens if I click over here and it happens, um, it pops up information, different information on a different part of the screen. And so, you know, once we, once we can dig into those more complex things, I think that we're, we as an organization will be in a better place, but also, you know, we as accessibility across the board, you know, not just here at VMware, if we start to dig into that more, we'll, we'll also be at a better place. I'm thinking about our primary uh, audience persona, somebody who wants to get into this. Um, I have a few questions, you know. One, how lucrative is this or how easy is this, right? And then uh, when you hire for somebody, what do you look at? Do you look at how much they know, how much they've learned about those acronyms and all of that? Or people who believe in the cause and why it is critical, and maybe you can share that as well. Or they they can empathize like they've worked with screen readers or they have have had somebody whom they've seen with those disabilities and now they want to do it so yeah um let me get to the second part um in a minute um the first part of you know how how lucrative is it um, if somebody were to pursue this as a career you know accessibility is a ever-growing industry more and more companies are finding out you know, contracting for a short time is fine, but as I said, it's a journey. It's something that's not going to go away. No matter how accessible you make something in this moment, unless your product literally remains stagnant and you will never do anything ever again, <laughs> which is unrealistic, right? Then you will build something, something else is going to happen. And then what happens? Is that then accessible? And then how are people going to continue to know? And so, it becomes a conversation, you know, uh, it's accessibility is a specialty, just like anything else. And, you know, as you're both finding out, you know, a little bit about accessibility and you find out there's so much more to learn. And so that's why really people like myself who are dedicated to accessibility, people are realizing more and more and more, much like security and much like uh, legal or anything else that you need, you need to dedicate yourself um, to fully be able to understand everything. Otherwise, you know, you're not going to be a designer. You're not going to be an engineer. You know, you have other concerns and you have other things that you need to keep up with in those professions, which is perfectly admirable. And so it's okay that you don't necessarily know everything about accessibility, but that is why it's growing. And so it is becoming more and more lucrative. You know, I talked about contract work. There are plenty of contract consultancies that are out there that you can engage in very successfully. That's where um, I was for a portion of my career, um, and also two larger companies, ourselves, Google, Adobe, um, you know, across the board, they're hiring accessibility professionals because they are recognizing everybody who's dedicated day to day to make the product, they are not going to be able to encompass accessibility as much as somebody who's dedicated to it. So I guess that's number one. Um, and so moving into what it is that we're looking for, you know, I'm talking about all of these different things from all of these different areas, design, um, content writing, engineering, your accessibility folks, whether 
you realize it or not, we're actually really well-rounded people who know a lot about a lot of different things. You know, kind of as a baseline, we all know at least minimum HTML and CSS. Some of us are a little bit more advanced and know JavaScript and more advanced technologies. It's not to say that we're experts at it. It's not to say that everybody comes from a development background. Um, we also know a little bit about design, and so we can work through Figma, uh, Photoshop, whatever that might be. We can talk intelligently about it. You know, and I was talking about interactions of really kind of digging into it, getting maybe a little bit more theoretical of saying, okay, well, what does this mean? Um, how does somebody use this? And so kind of having that next level thinking. And also, yes, we do dig into those acronyms. We do expect accessibility specialists to know WCAG. Um, and that last part, empathy. <laughs> honestly, if you're in this field and you don't have empathy, you're in the wrong field. I feel like, honestly, that is that is the baseline. That's how people get into this career. And that's why people are in it in the first place. Maybe I just take it for granted. But um, honestly, I, I can't even imagine a scenario in which I've come across an accessibility who doesn't have that. It just built in, <laughs> built into their... I don't know personality or just uh, how they how they talk about accessibility. So it's it's really multifaceted, which is why it's accessibility really lends itself of coming from any career. Honestly, a teacher even would be able to transition very easily into an accessibility career. Um, I guess that's the uh, that's the beauty of it, right? Of being able to be talk about all of these things and to have this kind of amalgamous knowledge of um, kind of this this holistic um, all-encompassing uh, ability to talk about the different facets of whatever it is that that's being produced yeah yeah I I, it, I can relate in the sense of like a lot of designers in, or in the UX field were brought in it people are pretty important empathy driven, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, yeah. you want to help others and it's a great field to do that. Um, so now let's, let's picture this. Um, someone has learned the basics to, to some extent they're, you know, at their work and they want to socialize it more. Maybe there's an accessibility team, but maybe there's not like, what, what are the first few steps that they do to even start bringing better awareness to their product teams about this? Yeah, yeah. It's a lot more difficult if you're the only person. And that's actually the case, honestly, of sometimes you're hired on as the only accessibility specialist, or sometimes you don't have any accessibility specialists at all. And somebody just says one day, oh, well, I see this accessibility stuff is becoming more important or more clients are asked. That's more true of more clients are asking about accessibility and we don't know anything about it. And so you're going to learn <laughs> about it. Um, it's it's different, right? Of We're lucky here at VMware. We have a very accepting um, atmosphere. People kind of get it. Um, or maybe even if they don't get it, they're open to hearing about it. Um, but I've been in a lot of situations that that isn't the case, that you really need to sell accessibility. And at the end of the day, for me, it's trying to figure out the person that I'm talking to of what's most important to them, right? Are they aligned with what's personally important to me is, you know, this is just the right thing to do. It just makes sense to do it. You know, this is a minority group like any other minority group. And so why wouldn't we offer 
you know, the same kind of experience or why wouldn't we see this as being important? And so I can speak to that and, you know, go uh, and convince people in that way. Finances, if finances are something that people resonate with of saying, well, this is actually, along with the largest minority, it actually has a spending power that's larger than China, right? And so thinking of <laughs> massive country of people who have disabilities have money, they want to spend it, and they will be spending it. And if you aren't accessible, then they'll go spend it with your competitor, right? So finances can be a huge motivator. Um, you know, you can get into it legally of, uh, well, if you don't do it now, then you might be facing a lawsuit later. And in fact, we have seen that. Um, I'm not the expert on the legal things, but I can talk to it to some degree. Um, and so, you know, really trying to figure out what that person is going to um, understand and, and want to figure out. Um, you know, it might be problem solving too. I didn't uh, touch on that a lot, but, um, you know, a lot of folks like to see this as, well, I understand that there's a barrier and let me kind of puzzle and kind of figure it out and, you know, sometimes even get creative in, in trying to work towards a solution. So, you know, these are, these are the things that have worked for me, but really just trying to understand the other person and why there's a barrier and then talking to, okay, we need to do this for a variety of different reasons. And so, you know, whatever it is that they're latching on to, really taking that to the next level and explaining to them, okay, let's figure out how we can move accessibility. So one, one last question before we wrap up. Um, let's, uh, let's take it a little further. This person now has like the go ahead with getting accessibility, you know, implemented into their products. Um, just because I'm a designer, let's take it from that perspective. Sure. Um, how's that person working with, you know, their cross-functional partners um, to get these things going. You know, obviously as a designer, I'm trying to make the Figma designs that I'm building accessible from that context, but it's far more than just that. So maybe you can walk us through what that might look like at a high level. And a little deep into the handoff process and, and are there any mindsets that we need to bring our cross-functional partners into before we give them what we want to want them to work on? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, it's... It, if you do have an accessibility team, obviously bringing them in early and often, that's an amazing thing to do, especially with designs. You know, a lot of people don't necessarily think of us being at the design phase, but we can be there. But let's assume that for whatever reason, you don't have somebody like myself sitting in the chair and can help you. Um, so, you know, going through as best you can and kind of thinking about different things, um, whether it's contrast, whether it's, you know, naming things as they should be named, buttons, links, um, accordions, tooltips, whatever it might be, um, keyboard accessibility, the order, um, you can make note of these different things. And, you know, if you as a designer are thinking of it, it would be great to have some kind of annotation kit. There are accessibility annotation kits out there that you can pull from, uh, Figma, if you're using Figma. Um, but being able to note these various different things, things that might seem super obvious, um, heading levels, for example, that also seem super obvious. But engineers, generally, they want to build, they want to solve problems, but they don't want to guess. You know, They don't want to interpret your designs. And so having that integrated, is amazing. You know, annotations are really best if you're able to annotate that and then meet with your engineer and kind of explain, okay, he, these things uh, should be built in this way. That's really going to help the engineering team. And so 
that's something that I think is missing really is that um, touch point between design and engineering. Um, and so it's just, it's really going to make a better end product at the end of the day. And yes, it's going to help with accessibility, but I think you'd find that there's just going to be a lot less friction, a lot less back and forth, especially um, having that uh, that conversation. And then the engineers too, they have a lot to think of with accessibility. And there are things that they need to do within the code to make sure that things, um, the accessibility uh, uh, parameter or the scaffolding is there to make sure that assistive technology can work with it. And so making sure that those are coded correctly. So that's kind of an all encompassing thing. Um, hopefully start to finish. I know it's very short. Uh, I could dig into it more, but I know that we have limited time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, we are so excited that this is just the beginning and that there's so much to dig in. And I'm sure our audiences are as interested. Um, you know, what I think of right now is that I heard somewhere it's not just the right thing, it's also the law. And today from our conversation, I would say it's not just the law, but it's also the right thing to do for better human experiences for all, right? Sandina, yeah. thank you so yeah. much for speaking to us today and opening us up about so many things that's out there. To our audiences, I would say, whether you're an active ally or a specialist in the making, keep learning and stay curious. More empathy to all. I thank you. Bye-bye.